And welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Top Top Talk podcast. I'm your host, Harris Arena, alongside me, co-host Dan Kylie. A little bit of a different format for today. We are not live. Uh, I will be at the Braves game tomorrow, so yay, Braves. Uh, so I asked Dan, I was like, hey, let's try, if we can, move it to Monday. That way we don't miss a show. Uh, and we are pre-recording. So, yes, we are not going to be reading your comments, or at least live chats. We will read your comments if you do comment. Uh, let us know there, and we'll get back to you on that one. So we apologize for this, but we wanted to make sure that you know where to find us every Tuesday, 7.30, Talking Dogs. Let's get it. Dan, how are you doing this Tuesday? I am good. I am in my house by myself. Family's at the hotel, and uh, I'm ready to rock this show out. Let's do it. Oh, yeah, and actually, I apologize. It is Monday, but, hey, that won't stop us. Y'all are seeing it Tuesday, so it's Tuesday. Dan, hot topic number one. Do you have a problem with teams running up the score on inferior opponents. We had a couple games this, this past weekend where I think Oregon scored like 83 or 83 to 7 on Portland State. OU whooped the behind out of Butch Jones at Arkansas State. What do you say, sir? So here is really simple for me. Um, I always go back to the Steve Spurrier quote where it's not my responsibility to stop my offense, it's yours. Um and I get that. And and I'm all for that, putting points on the board. However, I do have a caveat. Um, I say your starters can go into the third quarter and you can run whatever you want to, regardless of what the score is. So if it's 70 to nothing in the third quarter, like the beginning of the third quarter, like do you, boo, you just keep going. But my real issue becomes when, let's just say you're about midway through the third quarter and you are up 70 to nothing, if you still have your starters, and that's kind of a, that's kind of like where you start to go. That's kind of a douche thing to do. And then on the back side of that, um, if you're actively trying to score, right? If you're, at, I'm like, so put your backups in. So if you put your backups in in the third quarter, you know, run your offense because you, you, those guys have got to be able to play too. And you can see what you want to do. But once you start getting into the fourth quarter, maybe the very beginning of it, run your offense. Um, I mean, there are certain ways to run your offense without being a complete dick. Um, and you know, I'm saying don't throw, like, don't do all goes the whole time. But you know, as we were talking about yesterday, you know, like if you have your backups and let's just say, let's just use Georgia for example, because they didn't, and I don't think Kirby would intentionally do it, but let's just say you're, you know, in the fourth quarter and, uh, a walk on like, um, Savion Clark is in the game at running back and you're on your own 15 and he breaks off a run for 85 yards and scores you know, in the last two or three minutes of the game. Is that running up the score? The way I look at it, it's not because that's an 85-yard run. Like, that's not – you didn't plan to do that. It just happened. And, like, I don't subscribe to telling the kid to fall down. Um, I mean, listen, if you do, that's fine. And that, and I don't have a problem with that either. But I, but my thing is, like, you got coaches who are up 73 to nothing, and they're throw, taking shots at the end zone at the end of the game. And I just think I that's too far for me. Um, and I hope my point was understood, like, you know, roll with your starters into the first, maybe two drives of the third quarter. After that, put your backups in, let them run the office. But once you get, once you get down to the end of the game, um, you know, you really should be just running basic plays, not taking shots. So that's where I fall on it. Some people have zero problem. Um, I think I know where you fall Harrison. Go ahead. I'm actually, I'm a little bit surprised. I thought you would like put up those damn points, baby. Because uh, I've heard – we've talked about it sometimes. There's been some games where you're like, oh, I hope Kirby just like absolutely just blows them out, scores as many points as possible. Uh, 
I'm with you. I'm with you in the sense that I don't like running up the score on your opponents. I don't think it does much for you. Uh, in the case of, like Dan saying, unless you're playing your backups in the third quarter and you want to run your real offense. I'm fine with that. But here's my exception, Dan. I have one exception to the rule. If it is a marquee opponent or a conference opponent, run that baby up. I'm talking Kirby Smart going for two because he can't go for three, as my uh, friend Dan Kyle once said, against LSU. I was cool with that. It's still a competitive game. LSU was with, I mean, down only 20 points. There have been 20-point leads blown. That's fine. And I don't think Georgia, I mean, against Oregon, was that running up the score? I, I don't think so. No. Uh, not at all. So, but that's my exception. If it is Georgia versus LSU in the SEC Championship, by all means, run your offense, run up that score. But if you're playing Charleston Southern and you're up already 40 to nothing, there's no need to come out in the fourth quarter and try and score 60, Oklahoma. There's no need to make Butch Jones cry, Oklahoma. Uh, yeah, I, I just, that's, that's my one exception to the rule. If it's a marquee or a conference opponent, something like that, by all means, do what you need to do. Yeah, but all right. So yeah, a hundred percent right. And that's and you know you said inferior opponent. So like if you're playing Florida and you're beating the hell out of them, I don't consider Florida an inferior opponent, even if they statistically or categorically are. Um, that's Florida, right? But I, I know you well enough to know Harrison. If Georgia had the ball on the thirty-five yard line, up sixty to nothing on Vanderbilt, and they took a shot at the end zone with eighteen seconds left you'd be disappointed because, uh, you know, and, and like, I hear what you say, run it up. Like, but that's not you. And I, it... Vanderbilt can get some Vanderbilt <laughs> can get it. Vanderbilt can get it. 2020. I don't care. They've already beat them. What was it? 60 something to nothing Yeah. against Vanderbilt in 21. Do it. I don't care. But yeah, I, I I'm sorry, Dan. Uh, I did say inferior opponents, but I think, I think you got the meaning as well. I think we're on the same page here after oh, all. Yeah. Um, like I, I have a bigger problem when it's uh, you know, Louisiana Monroe as opposed to if it was South Carolina. So yeah, uh, when it's when it's when it's uh, because turnaround is fair play, and eventually one day you are not going to be as good as you are right now. And eventually one of these days, one of those teams is going to stick it up your rear end, and you better be able to take it when that happens. So uh, you know that's that's the only caveat I'll put to it is. I blow them out by all means. And you know, that's my mentality. But at the same time, when you get your ass kicked, I don't want to hear you crying about it. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. Uh, if LSU ever makes it back against Georgia, I have no doubt that they'll want to put a couple touchdowns oh, on them. Well, they boat raced us the year before. So I think we got our comeback. I might as well. Dan, before we go to the sex hot topic, I will play the clip before you give your answer. Uh, Shane Beamer had a post game presser. Now, uh, South Carolina, I, I'll, I'll get to that in a little bit. Anyways, uh, they lost to UNC over the weekend, Dan, in the primetime game. Pretty good game for the most part. Maybe not the best quality of football, but he proceeded to come out in the postgame presser, Dan, blamed everybody but himself and his football team for the loss. Blamed the chain crew, blamed hot dogs, get him out of here, and the clock person. So before you give your answer, because I sent this to you, I know you watched it, but for our listeners who haven't seen it, I'm going to play the clip. Uh, and then Dan's going to give you his answer because, whoo, Dan might go on one here. Credit to Blaine Gilmer for the clip. Stats. Anybody? It's kind of the story of the night. Clock was wrong the whole damn game. We're trying to kick an onside kick to start the second half, and we got to wait on the chain crew because they're eating a hot dog. That's the only disappointing thing about tonight. So, do we have any stats? 
Dan, what do you say? Uh, first of all, the chain crew is not even set during the damn kickoff. So, like, that doesn't even make any damn sense. And, like, dude, just when something doesn't go your way, like, all right, everybody's entitled to a bad day. God knows, hand raised, I have bad days where I just go off about anything. I mean, you, Jonathan, Jeremiah, know better than anybody. There are days where I'm just not happy about anything. And I get that part of it. But with Shane Beamer is becoming a habitual thing where he's a whiner and he's the complainer and he doesn't take a lot of you know responsibility for a lot of different things and yeah you know, it just you know like the, the clip about well georgia's got five stars everywhere they've got like 505 stars or whatever the quote was like yeah that was funny at the time because we had nothing else to compare it to but now you start to realize that every time they lose he's got a reason right or an excuse I mean, some people call them reasons, some people call them an excuse. But you know what? What great people do, like what Kirby Smart does, I mean, I'll give Brooks a plug because I, I didn't it was him. So but it was Brooks that asked Kirby Smart about running into the you know, running the football with no timeouts and then you know, kind of putting yourself in a bad spot. And Kirby owned it. He said, you know what? Sometimes as coaches, um, you, you make a decision too fast, and it was just a bad decision. We made a bad decision, we put ourselves in a bad spot. That's what a good coach does. That's what a leader does is, you know, he he could have thrown anybody on the boat. He could have been like, that damn Bobo doesn't know shit, but he didn't. He didn't. He didn't say that. He said it was me. It was me. And I, I give Brooks credit for uh, answering the or asking the question because we know that Kirby, uh, you, you never know which one you're going to get, and it can go really bad. Uh, however, he asked him the question, and Kirby did what a great leader does is he took responsibility for it. And he said, you know, that's inexcusable. That shouldn't happen. It won't happen again. And, you know, that's the one thing that we're not seeing from Beamer at all is that whenever there's something wrong or when he makes a mistake, he's not the first one to say, you know what, I got to be better. This is on me. You know, the kids did what I asked them to do. They uh, Maybe I didn't prepare well. None of that. It's always an excuse. And and when you sent me that clip, Harrison, I was just like, you got to be shit. Are you seriously blaming the chain crew? And then the clock, the clock has been wrong the whole game. What the hell does that even mean? How's the clock wrong the whole game? I, I don't, I don't even, I may, maybe there's context and maybe it was wrong. I have no idea, but you know what? North Carolina had to play under the same circumstances. So, and here's the other thing. Did you call across and be like, Hey, we're kicking an onside kick motherfuckers. I mean, because I don't understand like, well, the chain crew was late, so we couldn't kick our onside. How does that have anything to do with it? South Carolina, North Carolina sent over there. You think they just sat there and were like, you know what? Thanks for telling me. I, I, I have no idea how that has any relevance. Excuse the language. Um, just I, I, I'm over the complaining, dude. Just own up to it. And, and you know what? He's not a terrible football coach, but God almighty. I, do you want that lead in your program? I don't know. So, uh, Harrison, what, what was your take when you saw it? Because I, you know mine. I was like, what? You nailed it. You absolutely nailed it. I'm glad you brought up the, the Kirby question, taking responsibility for that. Even went as far to say – on the second down run, like we didn't adapt. We didn't put our offensive line in, you know, the situations that need to be in. But also there's another one, another class act, Brian Kelly. Now, Brian Kelly, by all means, I was never, I, I was probably a loud, would have been a loud credit if we were, if I was doing the show when he said the whole team should be executed. I, I me and Dan would probably be a credit. Now, I don't want to speak for Dan. Maybe Dan. I was laughing hilariously. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, um, but he came out after the Florida State game, after they lost, a game in which they probably should have won, a game they could have won. Same with South Carolina. South Carolina could have won that game. And 
took took responsibility. He said, this is not the team I thought we we're going to be, and that's all me. said, I didn't get him prepared, and that's all me. And basically kind of made a joke, which I don't think was a joke, and I don't think it was a shot, said, we thought we were the two-time defending national champion Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah, I didn't understand that at all. I don't know where he was trying to go with that. Like, was he trying to say that Georgia doesn't have to play four quarters, but we do? I Like, that one fell flat. Uh, I didn't get it. Um, I, I get what he said, or maybe he was thinking like we think we're better than we really are, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's exactly what he meant. It just the way it he came out, late, yeah. It just it did. I, I you know I think Jeremiah sent us that in the um in the uh, our group chat, and I, I didn't get it. it. It's definitely weird, and I think you're kind of spot on with it. I think it's we think we're better than we are. Like I think I think maybe he's hinting at there's complacency that they you know, made the SEC title game last year and did whatever they did in the bowl game. What did they do in the bowl game? I forget. Did they – what bowl did they go to? I have no idea. Yeah, I can I don't look either. it up while you're talking. But, yeah, it, it was just weird to me. Uh, I think what Dan said makes sense if he is talking about, like, hey, we're better. We thought we were better than we are, and we thought, you know, we had something that we did something, which has been something Kirby Smart has been talking about the whole time is this team shouldn't feel like they did anything because they've done nothing. And it's a new season, new team, new roster. You lose, whew, I mean, a, a pretty sizable, you know, amount of your production is gone from last year's team. But, yes, he does bring back a lot a lot of underclassmen on that team. So, yeah, but LSU, if, if you did feel that way, you haven't done nothing, even though you bring back production. Yeah, so LSU played in the Citrus Bowl, and they beat Purdue 63-7. to How do I not remember that? I don't know, but they killed him. All right, yeah, moving on. Dan. National Obsession, I want you to introduce this because this is your segment. This is one you recommended, so I'm going to let you take it away. So I I thought this would be a good opportunity for us to hit a national topic and then also keep track of what the media, what is getting the media's attention every week. So we're going to kind of jot these down. Uh, Harrison's going to have his little notepad on his computer, and we're going to kind of keep track of running. So this is, uh, I guess this is week one, right? So week one, what is the national obsession of the week? And by that, we mean, what is it that every single media is uh, media outlet is talking about? What are they leading with? What is the one that's getting the most attention? And unless you've been sleeping under a rock or been, uh, you know, lost in space for the last three days, the biggest topic of this week has been Colorado and what they were able to do on the main stage or the national stage. Against TCU. Now, listen, I do understand that TCU lost a bunch of people and they're ranked 17 and they're not ranked number one or number two anymore. I get that. However, you are talking about a one win football game or football team who brought in, I believe it's 50 new players to that roster. Well, they said it a million times. So if I got it wrong, I apologize. But I believe it said they have 53 new on that. And I, I was it one starter. Uh, one or two starters back from last year. I, I, it was insane. The whole point of it was, is what they are doing has never been seen before. They, they, they completely used the transfer portal uh, to completely flip their team around. And he brought his luggage, his sons over. And he said, they're Louie, right? So he brought over Shador Sanders, who, you know, in the off season worked out with a lot of different guys. I guess he worked out with Russell Westbrook some, in his quarterback trainer, but then he also worked out a lot with Tom Brady. He was the one question that I had of all the guys that were coming over and that were gift wrapped starting positions. He was the one that I didn't know. 
I didn't know. And it wasn't uh, out of ignorance or anything like that. I just, I didn't know if his game would translate to the division one level, uh, all that pressure put on his plate. Uh, we know now, and I don't care what, like tech TCU is not a powder puff football team. My man broke a school record in his first start at the division one level, 510 yards. You've got to be kidding me. Holy hell. Shador Sanders had a hell of a day. Oh, and Dion has another son, and he started at, I want to say, free safety. I could be wrong, but I believe it's free safety. He loved the team in tackles. So the Sanders boys, I think his name is Shiloh, if I'm not mistaken. Shiloh led the team in tackles, and Shador led the team in every other damn thing. And then Travis Hunter, um, I mean, he's the best player in America. Oh, my God. Holy hell. I mean, the dude played 129 steps. I don't think that's sustainable. And I saw a comedian uh, on Facebook or TikTok today. I'm about, okay, well, if that's the case, then we need Brock Bowers to start playing linebacker. <laughs> because, um, but it was incredible. What they what um, what Dion was able to accomplish in the first week was absolutely incredible. That is the national obsession of the week. And in my opinion, rightfully so, because what they did was amazing. Now, can they sustain it? I have no idea, but for one week, it was amazing. And I enjoyed, I thoroughly enjoyed watching that. I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I'm wondering if Travis Hunter is going to be putting bubble wrap for the rest of the week uh, in practice, because that is not, like you said, at least in my opinion, sustainable. I don't know. I need to go back and see. I wonder how much Drew Peppers made played at Michigan when he was playing safety and, and receiver. I, I don't know off the top of my head, but yeah, uh, probably gonna put bubble wrap and that whole team. I mean, they play with the chip on their shoulder, Dan. There's there's no other way to put it because you see in game, and I know some people, Dion caught some heat talking about, you know, answering the outers, which I had no problem with, uh, talking about people saying they're going to be a bad football team. Hey, it worked. They won. They were motivated. They went in there. They beat the team, the national championship runner-up. That's that's a big deal, like Dan said. And I, I was with you, Dan. I didn't know what Shador Sanders was going to be like. I didn't know if he was a D1 quarterback. And – for the position for a position like that to bring your son along, if you mess up a quarterback and it's your son, that could be a death blow for Dion. That could be a job, you know, risk. That could get him fired. If Shador Sanders came in there and didn't play well, didn't play to the standard, didn't play, you know, as everybody kind of maybe expected him to, Dion could have been, you know, next playing out of Colorado in a few years if that got messed up. By God. I know you said he has two sons on the team. Travis Hunter might as well be a third son at this point. Actually, a fourth son, because I know um, I want to say Dion has a third son who does the video content for them on their YouTube. So, yeah, Travis Hunter should be the fourth son of that man, because, my God, was that impressive. Very, very, very impressive. Dan, and I, I, I want to get your take on it, uh, because I want to, you know, Dion said it at halftime. If he makes that, if he catches that touchdown and makes that pick, the Heisman's waiting for him in his crib. <laughs> what do you say to that? Uh, I say it's going to be, well, so the one question everybody has about Travis Hunter, is he a wide receiver? Is he a corner? And I've seen different opinions. I've seen some people say he's a first round wide receiver and he's just a average corner. And I've seen other people say he's a first round corner and average wide receiver. I've seen it both ways. Um, I believe he's the lead of both. And I believe um, they tried to pick on him thinking that he would be tired. And he came up big almost every single time. He had the one interception that was just absolutely incredible. Like the burst of speed to get that interception was incredible. And then he had another one where he dove and got his fingertips on it 
and he was fit, like, I, I mean, what, 15 feet, probably a full five yards away from that ball when he left his feet, and he managed to get his fingertips on it. Um, and then he had a couple really good pass breakups. He had a, a touchdown in the corner of the end zone that he knocked out of the guy's hands at the last second. Um, I mean, he's incredible. I just don't know if it's sustainable. But uh, to your point, if he's able – somehow god willing if he's able to stay healthy and do that every single week 100 percent that heisman trophy is his i mean will he i so some people get so caught up in the numbers i don't know that he'll have the numbers but just i i mean i i don't know how you don't give it to a guy who can do both like that does he need to play both positions to win it like if he does it for a whole season i think yeah like go ahead give it to him especially if he produces both but like if he transitions to full-time corner or full-time receiver like does that hurt him is my question for the heisman i think it would i um i think it would be hard unless i mean unless he went to wide receiver like if he goes to db he's not winning the heisman trophy i mean we saw the only defensive back we've ever seen was um uh charles woodson win the Heisman Trophy, but he also played offense and he did a lot of kick returns. So he had that going for him. Travis Hunter doesn't return kicks. So, um, uh, but if he goes to wide receiver, we've seen wide receivers win the Heisman Trophy. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't Relatively I, recently. Yeah. So. I, I'm, I'm excited. This is, you know, you said in chat uh, that this is kind of your, this is going to be your, your weekend watch. I forget the word you used. Guilty your pleasure. Guilty pleasure. You're gonna be watching Colorado, and I'm with you. If Colorado, and this is great for them from a program perspective, because they're gonna get more opportunities at big noon kickoff, man. When they go to USC, that game's gonna be the biggest game of the week, or at least the presentation's gonna feel like that. I'm excited for that one because if Travis Hunter can do what he did against USC on both sides of the ball, whoo, that's that's gonna be special. So I, I'm excited to see where this comes. I suspect Dan that we'll have Colorado again at some point. Um, probably after their first L was when the doubters will come out. But yeah, this is Colorado's going to be fun to watch. No doubt. Absolutely. Let's get into your rant, Dan. This is, this is, this is a topical one. This is one that we really don't have to shift gears that much because it's around the same game. So I'm going to let you take it away. All right. So mine is the excessive commercials that the NCAA or any, any television product with sports is shoving down our throats. I don't, Harrison, if you can find the tweet that you sent me that illustrated it, that would be amazing if you could share that. But um, basically what they were saying is, um, gosh, oh my, this is so much harder to do without the, the tweet up. So let me see if I can find it. Just bear with me one second. Because um, it had some really good information on it. All right, so the, the issue... I'm working on it. I'm gonna I'm gonna screen right. share. It. I'm gonna grab it. All right. So I'll start it from this angle. The, the from this perspective. From this perspective is, we were told that they had to make changes to the clock in college football to shorten the games. The games were too long. That they were taking up too much time. Right. And and they told us this that it's about the player's safety. We got to shorten the game. We got to fit into the windows. We got to do all this. And you know, like we all felt like that was probably a load of bullshit. But we kind of just took it, and it is what it is. You know, um, a lot of different people broke up about, you know, uh, it's not really going to affect this. It's not really going to affect that. But then they made the game longer by adding more commercials. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. I am so sick and tired of these commercials. Every time the damn TV, I mean, a, a play happens and they're like, we'll be right back after these messages from our local sponsors, blah, blah, blah. Every single time. All right. So the TCU Colorado broadcast. 
they knew all eyes would be on that game. Now, thank God. Listen, thank God we shortened the game because God knows we had to get into a better window. The game length was three hours, 36 minutes, and 42 seconds. Ads were 49 minutes and 27 seconds. Let me say that again. Out of a three-hour, 36-minute game, you almost had an hour of commercial breaks. Uh, there were 25 commercial breaks. The ratio of ads to the game were 3.4 to 1. And then in the first and second quarter had a stretch that a minute 17 ran off the clock, yet nine minutes and 30 seconds of ads ran. And then they, uh, this is irrelevant, but they they mentioned Deion Sanders 56 times and Sunday Dykes 10. But the bigger issue that I take out of this is, I mean, th- just circle that one. I mean, th- how many times, uh, especially like NBA basketball, right? And this is the one thing that my wife always jokes about. Like if it's a close game and, uh, and she'll say, honey, are you coming to bed? I'm like, no, 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 the game's got a minute 12 left. And she's like, oh, so you'll be in bed in an hour. Okay. Because at the end of the NBA game, they take a timeout. And every time somebody takes timeout, you got to take a commercial break. Now, the timeout is supposed to be 60 seconds, but they run three and a half minutes worth of commercials. So if you think about it, if you have one play, okay, and this happened in the football game. It really did towards the end when it was a close game. You had a play. The other team called a timeout. So they took a commercial break, three and a half minutes. They came back, ran a play, took another commercial break. They ran three and a half minutes of another commercial. So you're talking about you literally had – I don't know, five seconds run off the clock, but then you had nine minutes of, or three and a half, three and a half is what seven minutes, seven minutes with the commercials in uh, five seconds of gameplay. It's it's absolutely absurd. Listen, I understand the TV deals are so big because of the advertising. I get that. There's got to be a better way. NASCAR does it where they'll put the little, they'll do the picture in picture where they have the ad running on one screen and the game still going on the other. You've got to do something with these ads. It's making it almost unwatchable. You're taking an absolutely amazing product and you're just pooping all over it. And I just, it, it, it grinds my gears. It really bothers me. I hate it. It's so obnoxious to watch. Go ahead, Harrison, read that. Uh, this is just something that I just found. He replied to his own tweet. Uh, credit to Mike uh, Mark Istook. I think I'm saying his name right, uh, for these, I mean, awesome just eye-opening stats on, like, the broadcast and all that. But anyways, he says, and I quote to his own tweet, also, yes, I'm aware that networks need revenue to survive, but I also watched an F1 race this weekend that had zero commercials. So somehow there's a way to broadcast sporting events that doesn't involve nine minutes of commercials for one minute game time. And you I'm know, that's with a, him. I, I, I love that he used Formula One. And for all of you who don't understand why that's important, it's because Formula One generates about three times the revenue as college football. Ooh, I did not so know that. If, yeah, those drivers make oh, $10 million a win. I mean, it's incredible the amount of money that's involved in Formula One. Formula One is, I mean, like it makes NASCAR like NASCAR. NASCAR is like the uh, like a baby, like a little baby racing series compared to F1. Um, I mean, it's, it's the equivalent of uh, NFL versus high school football network rights. Talking about F1 to NASCAR. So, F1 is a great, great comp because they need that revenue. But in fairness, they have revenue all over the damn screen or they have advertisements all over them. The car is a rolling advertisement. But um, yeah, there are different ways and you've got to find a different way because what you're giving us right now is unbearable. Unbearable. Absolutely. I would like to see picture in picture come back for a little bit, cut down the TV timeouts just a tad bit. Uh, and you can even, I mean, yes, get the game plan, 
uh, a little quicker, but you can even do picture in picture and have your commercial still running for your full three well, minutes and 30 seconds. You know what I loved uh, during the World Cup, what they would do, and I remember this from when I was a kid, is they, they, they would say, this segment of the game is brought to you commercial free by McDonald's. And then they'd have the McDonald's logo in the corner the whole damn time. Like if they sponsored 30 minutes of the game, it would just be up there for 30 minutes. And then when that ad would run out, they would be like, and this next portion of it is brought to you commercial free by Harrison Reno. And then they have a picture of Harrison's ugly face in the corner. I mean, it's whatever, but you, you get my point is there are different ways to do it. Right. Absolutely. Uh, take a, take a script from, take a script from radio and make it the red zone. Make, make the red zone sponsored, Dan. Make the end zone sponsored. Like there, there's ways to do it. Uh, and hey, I'm a face man for radio, so hit me up, boys. Uh, if you want me on the radio, I'm just joking. But anyways, Dan, hell of a segment, dude. Hell of a segment. When you texted me and said, "Yeah, I'm gonna do the one on the excessive commercials," I was here for it. But anyways, let's get into our game reactions. The reason everyone's here. Uh, very little rant on the commercials. I thought that was something everybody could get behind because nothing's worse. And and Dan, I think Fox was very very bad. I need to go look at the stats. Um, but I assure you, CBS Sports, my God, are those numbers for their games pretty bad? Because I remember, I mean, a game that's broadcast by CBS. If you're going into a game that's broadcast by CBS, man, it drags and drags and drags and drags. Just drags. Well, but CBS was good about hitting their window. So I I would think the game would be moving along and then they would slow it down with. Commercial. Um, they wouldn't take, I mean, there were some games that their commercial breaks, you know, they would, uh, you know, it's it, wrong, but I think CBS from time to time would run a commercial in the background. with the game was running over, you may be right on that one. That seems familiar. I feel like I've seen yeah, that before. I, I, I don't know why it seems that way, but anyway, anyway, yeah, great segment. I, I, it just, it resonated. Um, and so I'm glad you were able to pull up that tweet because it made it much more relevant. Absolutely. Um, there's another reply to it, but we won't get into that. We'll get into that later. Anyways, Georgia versus UT Martin, 48-7. to A lot of the reaction to this has been negative, uh, mostly in regards to Carson Beck and Mike Bobo, which is interesting. Uh, and not really that I'm surprised, not to say I'm surprised about it. I'm a little bit surprised about the Carson Beck doubters. I thought Carson Beck was going to be a – program or a fan base unifier or you know after basically four or five six years of having the divider and it's not nothing against suspense it wasn't his fault but he was there it was the lightning rod as dan kyle once said that makes everybody you know disagree it's Stetson Bennett. so i'm a little surprised about that one but mike bobo there's already been lines drawn in the sand when todd munkin left you knew where everybody stood but we all have our doubts. We all had our, you know, everybody, you know, there are supporters and there there's doubters. So, Dan, what was your takeaway? Where where do you want to hit first about this game? So I I will hit on your topic of Carson Beck to begin with. And at the end of the day, with the quarterback position, the most popular quarterback is the backup quarterback. Always is, always will be. Um, there's always going to be people like this is one of the things that I'm you know, I'm well aware of, but as, uh, you know, my son plays quarterback and I'm not saying he's great or anything like that. I'm not trying to brag on my son. I'm just saying he plays the position. However, when you play the position, you have to understand that every single person has an opinion. Every single person thinks they're an expert on the quarterback play. So, I mean, even you and I, Harrison, when we talk, like you can, you comment on what you thought the quarterback should or shouldn't do, but you've never played quarterback a day in your life. You've never taken a snap. You've never, 
watched film as a quarterback. You've never done any of those things, but you have an opinion. And I'm not saying you're wrong in your opinion. I'm just saying you have one. And there are a million other people just like you who have an opinion on quarterbacks. So it didn't matter what Stetson Bennett did. It didn't matter what Carson Beck does. It doesn't matter what Brock Vandergriff does. It doesn't matter what Gunnar Stockton does. It, hell, it won't matter what Dylan uh, Rayola does whenever he gets to Georgia. There will be people who think he can do no wrong, and there will be people who hate everything he does. It's just the way that the quarterback position works. My take on the quarterback play for across the board for Georgia was I thought all three played pretty well. Did they make mistakes? Absolutely. I think Carson Beck came out a little bit tight. I think Carson Beck came out wanting to be perfect. I don't think he wanted to make a mistake. I want. I think he had a lot of pressure on his shoulders. I mean, could you only imagine taking snaps as a starting quarterback for a team that just won back-to-back national championships, and now everybody's looking at you that you have to be the guy to do it again? Um, that is a hell of a lot of pressure. I've never in my life ever faced pressure to that magnitude. I don't think anybody listening to this or watching this has ever had that amount of pressure put on their shoulders uh, ever in your life. And some people that will crush you, absolutely crush you. Uh, look at what happened with Dewan Mathis. Do I think Dewan Mathis was a terrible quarterback? I don't. Do I think he could handle the pressure? No, he could not handle that pressure. I think it squashed him. And, um, you know, somebody like Sesson Bennett just doesn't give a shit. Uh, and I think that's why he was able to handle the position. I think with the amount of pressure that he had on him, the expectations leaped on his shoulders. I think he came out and played pretty damn well. And then I thought when Brock got his opportunities, I thought he played really well. Uh, he had a bunch of plays called back. I didn't, I, I didn't get to watch the game, uh, cause I, uh, don't have ESPN plus on a TV anywhere. Uh, and my phone was dead. So, uh, I didn't get to watch it live, but I did go back and watch it. I thought Brock played very well. I thought Gunner did everything that they asked him to do. So across the board, my opening take on this game is I thought all three quarterbacks played extremely well. I'm with you. I'm with you. And I, I think, yeah, I think everybody kind of started out slow. Uh, maybe not as much as defensively. I think defense probably played, you know, pretty solid. They lived up to the standard a little bit for all four quarters, more so than the offense did. And we'll get to that in a little bit here. But, yeah, I was, I was, I was happy with what I saw from the quarterback play. I think, like you said, all three came in, put, did a pretty good job. Uh, but I, and we'll get into this when we talk about Bobo and the offense. But you know, there's only so much that we're going to see from this game, and I think there is a tendency to overreact to some things, especially after Week One, first time in since January, and anybody has seen this Georgia team that most people have seen this Georgia team in a game, in a, in a game, in a football game. Haven't seen them since January. A lot has changed since January, but considering that and, and, and putting it, you know, long-term perspective, I, I, I like what I saw. I think Carson kind of showed the traits that everybody talked about when they were talking about him in the offseason. I think we did see him go through his reads. I think we did see uh, his arm. I think we saw his decision-making. Now, obviously, he had some missed throws. Everybody does. Um, but it, it makes you excited to see what he can do down the road when they actually unleash that playbook. So I, I was happy with that. Next thing's next, Dan. Let's get into offensive line. This has probably been a hot topic regarding this football game. Uh, you have some people that blame Mike Bobo for the way Georgia ran the ball. You have some people that blame the offensive line. And when I went back and watched the Kirby Smart presser, what I took away from it was, kind of like you talked about, Kirby Smart took responsibility for what happened. Georgia ran for, hold up, looking at stats, not prepared. Georgia ran for 159 yards, averaged 5.3 yards per carry. And on the surface, that's not bad at all. That's really good. 5.3 yards per carry, I'll take that. 
Uh, but when you go watch the first half, there's some runs there, Dan, where you're like, man, you know, if this guy gets one block or this guy does this, touchdown or big run, explosive play. And then there's other times where you're like, man, why are we doing this play call? Like, why aren't we aren't bouncing it to the outside? So, and I went in there when I watched the game tape, Dan, as the, you saw, I, I, I kind of marked out the box. There, there were six or seven man boxes that Georgia ran into. Now, who's that on? Is that on the coach? Is it on Carson Beck? I, I don't know. I can't give you that answer. So, well, I would just, I would just say, um, Georgia's offensive line didn't play as well as they could have, and as well as we expect them to. We have been extremely spoiled with this offensive line uh, since Sam Pittman got here and basically redid how Georgia does their offensive line, and this continued on with Stacey Searles. Um, you know, and I, I just. To your point, they didn't put them in a position to succeed. Um, I think that could be looked at many different ways um, because a team like UT Martin, their defensive line should never look good against an offensive line at University of Georgia. And that's just my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong, but they should never look good. And there were plenty of plays where I was like, damn, that number 44 just made a hell of a play on that, uh, you know, on a stunt or a twist. And you know, getting home, tackling our back in the backfield. Cash Jones absolutely got blown up on a play on a on a twist. And, you know, like, you don't expect that out of the offensive line of Georgia. And, you know, maybe maybe they just didn't really put in a game plan for it. I, I don't know. I'm not I, – I, I'm not an offensive lineman. I can't speak to the, the, in, the intricacies of what our line did or didn't do. Um, was it play calling? I, I, I'm not 100% sure, but – 159 yards is not good for the University of Georgia. And you can say whatever you want to, but when you're the University of Georgia and you're playing an inferior opponent, the one thing that we've always known is that Georgia's got backs and Georgia's got linemen. If we want to run it down your throat, we can run it down your throat. I didn't see that. Now, there, like, yeah, I, I listened to a lot of different people talk about this game. And the one thing I kept hearing up is, you know, there, there was, um, I, I want to say it was Kevin Butler who said that, uh, you know, maybe, just maybe, Bobo's running some of the same stuff he did uh, so that nobody has any idea what he's really going to do. So, I, I mean, I really don't know what the deal is, but I was not overly impressed with Georgia's offensive line. But like you said, there might be a million different reasons for that because we know how talented that line actually is. Yeah, and to, and to give them credit, because the, the running, they didn't look as great against the run, and as Kirby you know, kind of pointed to, maybe that's more on the staff, just not putting them in the right positions uh, to do it when you're running into those seven, eight-man boxes. Anyways, uh, they, they, I thought they passed Pritchett well. I was very impressed. There was multiple times where Carson Beck had you know a lot of time in that pocket, and, and credit to him, one thing I didn't mention when talking about him is he ran the ball pretty effectively. Like He got out of the pocket when nothing was there, Got through his reason, said, okay, I'm going to run, picked up a few yards. Like, that's what you need to do. No, it's not as dynamic as Cesar Bennett, where you can pick up, you know, 15 yards in a cover zero, outrun a backer for the first down on like third and long. That's not Carson Beck. But dude, dude showed a little shimmy, got his uh, rushing touchdown, and also uh, made some plays with his legs. I was happy there. But yeah, offensive line, I thought pass direction wise, played great. Uh, played up to the standard in that sense. But like we said before, uh, run blocking was not at least from a team perspective, whether it's on the coaches or it's on the players, 
wasn't up to the standard for what you would expect from a Georgia football team playing a team like UT Martin. And that's no disrespect for him. And also, I think, Dan, you and I talked about it um, maybe last night. Is it for the way UT Martin plays defense or the way they set up kind of they go into some odd fronts? And as we've seen kind of over the years, uh, odd front football teams kind of have given Georgia trouble when it comes to running the rock. Uh, Mississippi State, uh, the last few years, the last two years they've played Mississippi State with their odd front defense, they've done a pretty good job of shutting down Georgia's run. 2020 is a prime example of what odd fronts has kind of given Georgia trouble with uh, when it comes to running the rock. Georgia did not run the ball well in 2020 against Mississippi State. I don't remember exactly how well they ran it uh, this past season. I need to go look at that. Uh, before I could say, but this has been something. It's just the way that defense is designed. Uh, something about it just gives Georgia trouble, and you know that 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 just could be it at the end of the day. And I'm actually looking at here now, Dan. Uh, Lab McConkey was the leading rusher last year for Georgia um, against Mississippi State with one yard or one carry for 70 yards. Georgia rushed for 179 yards and 5.4 yards per carry against Mississippi Mississippi State last year. So that kind of gives you an idea of what. Georgia's look like against odd front football teams. Uh, so credit, credit, credit to UT Martin uh, for how they did it. Dan, let's talk defense. Defense is an interesting case because you give up a little bit more rushing yards than you wanted to. Like we saw some holes, we saw some gaps open up, we saw some UT Martin guys get free, and that's we're not used to that. Georgia, Georgia fans are spoiled in the sense there that you know there's some games where Georgia's defense gave up maybe three yards rushing. Like just nothing, just just put those guys on ice skates, and they you know they got no yards. So it it they gave up more yards than they should have. Or let let me rephrase that: they gave up more yards than we've come to expect. But what did you take away from this defense? Uh, this play of the defense as a whole. You know, my my first takeaway would be that yeah, like inevitably you're going to give up more rushing yards because you don't have Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis. Those are two very unique individuals who allow you to do a million different things that other teams can't do. And how many, you know, we see everybody trying to find the next Jordan Davis on the next Jalen Carter. Well, you know what? There's a reason that, you know, Georgia had a historically good defense and they were on it is because they were very unique individuals. And, you know, like we have very talented guys on the defensive line now. They're just not Jordan Davis and, and Jalen Carter, and that's okay. Um, at the end of the day, yeah, we were extremely spoiled for years with those guys on our team, and we saw our defense put up numbers. But you know what? If we come back down to earth a little bit, um, we're still pretty damn good and probably better than everybody else. The one thing that no, I noticed, and I didn't, like I said, I didn't get to watch the game live. So I, you know, when sometimes when you don't watch it live, you don't really get the feel for it. But the one thing that did kind of notice to me was how fast they were. It seemed like they were fast. Like even if they didn't play a play right, exactly right, um, they closed on it quickly. And, then, you know, they there was, um, and, and for, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think they gave up any chunk plays. Did they, Harrison? Did I, did I miss that? I need to go look at the statue real quick. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't recall them giving up any big chunk plays. Um, at least they. Um, I, I think the touchdown. The touchdown was only like seven yards, right? Something like that. It was at the end of the game. So yeah. I, listen, overall, I think the defense is going to be just fine. I think they're incredibly fast. I think we have a lot of different options. Um, and as far as I know, everybody made it out of the game healthy. And I think you get to learn a lot of different things. So, I, I mean, if you, if, 
if you come to this podcast and you're pissed off about our defense, I don't know what to tell you because uh, I was not. I, w- I mean, listen, there were plenty of things with offense that you could get upset about. I'm not saying it's worthy, and I'm not saying it's right, and I'm uh, I'm just saying there were there were things that you could have gotten mad about with the offense. But I mean, I really, I mean, if you're trying to get mad at the defense, you're stretching. Very much so. And the only chunk plays they gave up were quote unquote chunk plays in the run game. Longest run was 26 yards. Second longest was 11 and 10. Uh, and I think one of those may be the quarterback. Let me look. Yeah. Quarterback got 26 yard run. Uh, and I mean, yeah, that happens even to Georgia, even these old Georgia defenses, you know, running quarterback does get loose. You, you They break contain at times. It happens. Yep. Uh, passing game, the longest passing uh, passing play was 17 yards for UT Martin. Oh, and listen, when we play Tennessee, they're probably going to have five or six of those. So, yeah, I mean, like it's – I mean, you're you're 100% right, Harrison. When you say you're going to lose contain on a quarterback every once in a while, it's going to happen. Do you want it to happen? Absolutely not. But, um, it's, I mean, it's almost inevitable. Um, when you're – so, you know, that's one of the biggest advantages of having a quarterback that can run is because now you're playing 11 on 11. Where on every other play, you're playing 10 on 11. The minute the quarterback gets rid of the ball, it's 10 on 11, right? So – you know, with, with the quarterbacks taking off, and I'm assuming it was not a design run. It was probably a busted play, uh, you know, scramble drill type of deal. And, you know, forgive me. I, I didn't watch it as intently as maybe some of you guys did. Um, but, I, I'm, like I said, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're bitching about this defense, bro, go climb a tree. Uh, yeah, I, I was cool with it. Uh, to sum everything up, Georgia didn't play maybe the best four quarters of football that they have in years past. They still won 48-7. So <laughs> that that, that kind of lets you know. The, the offense got going in the second half. They came out after scoring 17 points in the first half, came out and scored 31 points in the second half, uh, got rolling. And we've seen this before. Sometimes Georgia does have a game where they only really play one half of really good football. And, the, you know, well, the other half is, you know, kind of middling or not to the standard, I should say. I would I would say the one thing offensively that you have to be a little bit comfortable with is that as the game progressed, they got better. They got cleaner. They started getting bigger chunk plays. They started executing. Uh, like I said, I think early in the football game, just as my opinion, I think Carson was trying to be too perfect. Um, there were some throws that he probably should have made. Um, I've heard some people criticizing him saying they were peewee football throws. Uh, I, I went back and watched the, the tape, um, and I did not see – Peewee football throws that were missed. I saw a couple throws that were missed for sure. Um, but listen, if you go and dissect every quarterback, I mean, very, I mean, when was the last time you saw a quarterback go 29 on 29? It doesn't happen, guys. I mean, like if you throw the ball, I believe he, what did he throw 30 times? Something like that? 31. 31 times. So you throw the ball 31, you're going to have six bad throws maybe i mean i i don't know i mean and, and there were a couple incompletions that are going to show up on the stats that were not incompletions they were drops so it is what it is and, and like oh my other takeaway is uh love it better figure out how to put his damn chin strap on bro like every time you can't try to catch the ball your helmet pops off like my guy there's gonna be a time in in the season where we need you in a football game and because you don't want to wear your chin strap you think it's cool looking your helmet's gonna pop off like, I, I try not to be critical, but, dude, strap your freaking helmet on. Your helmet came off three times in a freaking football game, and you didn't even get hit. Sorry. Yeah, I was looking for the numbers here on Carson. I was wondering about the adjusted um, the dot on him. I can't find it. I don't know. I think that maybe an advanced analytics act, and I ain't interested in paywall. 
uh, statistics. So, yeah, we'll have to go without that. But, yeah, he completed 70 or 67% of his passes, damn near 70%. Um, I, think, I think many people will take that in a football game. I think a lot of coaches would. So, yeah, not not really too upset. The rewatch definitely cleared a lot of things up, at least from my perspective. Like, some things did go wrong, and that happens. Um, and you also kind of have to remember it's a young football team. Uh, Georgia was without Dejan Edwards, was without Lab Conkey, was without Marcus Rosemary Jack Saint. Those are three really veteran football players that have played a lot of snaps to this point that weren't on the field. So you got to keep that in mind. Play Ball State next week. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to see where the AP poll puts Georgia after week one. Uh, you still win by 41 points, so I expect they'll be number one. But after the statement that Florida State made against LSU, I wouldn't be surprised if the Seminoles are maybe creeping up at Georgia or not above Georgia because uh, everybody loves a Florida State comeback and the whole we're back stuff. So, Dan. Do you have anything else before we wrap up the show? No, I, listen, overall, I, I think Georgia did what they had to do. They stayed healthy for the most part. Yes, they were missing people. Um, I know there's a lot of people that hate Bobo, and they're just going to hate Bobo. And we didn't even really talk about Bobo. Um, so, at, look, all I got to say is running on third down, you better get used to it. It's going to happen. So, um, anyway, um, I the dogs got to win. They – they said this is the longest winning streak they've had at 17 games. That can't be right. Like I, I, there's, I don't believe 18 games. That's the longest in the history of Georgia. I don't, I don't believe that. Not even for a second because you had those Georgia teams that you know. I, I don't. Maybe maybe it's right. I don't know. But that just seems I, crazy. I don't. I don't doubt. It. I mean, that's a that's a pretty you know impressive streak there. I mean, that's did they that's a, in 1980 were they not undefeated? I believe they were. They were, but and they then lost the next the year next they year. went. Then, yeah, they went undefeated the next year and lost to Pittsburgh in the Sugar Bowl, didn't they? Oh. Yeah, but how many games did they play back then? What? Oh, uh, well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's 15-game season now if you make it all the way to the championship. Uh, yeah. So Georgia definitely has benefited currently from the from the 15 games. I mean, they played 15 games two years in a row. So Last team you know, to beat Georgia, benefited. Alabama, right? Yep. Uh, as championship. Hey, I'm excited to see if we get that game again in Atlanta. Uh, Georgia has some demons to fight out uh, in that Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So we'll see. Alabama won this weekend, took care of business, played pretty pretty well for out of the teams that uh, you know have come in as national championship favorites, played to their standard at the very least. Hey, anyways, Caleb Downs led Alabama in tackles. Just had to throw that out there. Whew. Anyways. We're sorry we're not live this week. We will see you back live next Tuesday, 7.30. Appreciate y'all for being here. Put your comments in the comment section. Like and subscribe to the podcast if you want more of the Top Total Talk podcast. Like I said, every Tuesday, 7.30, live here on YouTube. You get it afterwards on podcasts, uh, different podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, you name it. We're on there. Go find us. With that being said, Twitter's. Follow Dan Kiley at Dan Kiley on Twitter. Follow me at Harrison Reno. We'll see you back next week. As I start getting fun music.